0: Streaming audio is made possible by Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and grocery staples to your door. Every delivery allows you to support local donations that fight hunger in the community. Learn more at HungryHarvest.net. This episode is brought to you by Next One Up. Next One Up transforms the lives of young men in Baltimore City by providing long-term mentoring and coaching during the critical ages of 13 to 24. Innovative programming blends a focus on academics, athletics, and leadership to infuse out-of-school with purpose and help young men create a dynamic and concrete vision for their future. Next One Up, transforming the lives of young men in Baltimore City by supporting and advancing their academic, athletic, and social development. Learn more, donate, or get involved at nextoneup.org.
1: When that came out, my whole world kind of changed uh, for the better it, I had been interested in music i was I loved bands like The Ventures and the you know uh, e- even the uh, the Four Seasons you know but when the Beatles came out, it was like oh very clear to me that this is this is I mean lots of kids a multitude of, of of kids had the same epiphany when they saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. They said, that's what I want to do. That's it.
0: (laughs) This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs, necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives, or their lives in general.
1: (laughs) beautiful house with a beautiful wife and you may ask yourself well how did I get here
0: Chris France is best known as the drummer for one of the most influential bands of the late 70s and 1980s Talking Heads formed by three Rhode Island School of Design students France, Tina Weymouth and David Byrne in 1975 in New York City, and later joined by keyboardist and guitarist Jerry Harrison. The band ushered in odd, angular music to the mainstream. He found additional success in a side project with his wife, Tina Weymouth, in TomTom Club, as well as a producer of records by several well-known artists, including Happy Mondays and Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers. His autobiography, "Remain in Love," was released in the summer of 2020. As was, same as it ever was. 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 Same as it ever The first song France chose as being formative for him was "Big John" by Jimmy Dean. Big John. Big John.
1: Every morning at the mine, you could see him arrive. He stood six foot six and weighed 245, kind of broad at the shoulder and narrow at the hip. And everybody knew you didn't give no lip to Big John. Big John. Big John. Big bad John. Big John. Nobody seemed to know where John called home. He just drifted into town and stayed all alone. He didn't say much, he was kind of quiet and shy And if you spoke at all, you just said hi to Big John Somebody said he came from New Orleans Where he got in a fight over a Cajun queen And a crashing blow from a huge right hand Sent a Louisiana fella to the promised land, Big John Big John Big John Big Bad John Okay, the, the, one of the first songs that influenced me as a young kid was a song called Big Bad John. It might have actually been just Big John, but anyway, I called it Big Bad John by Jimmy Dean, the, the Sausage Man. And uh, Jimmy Dean had a, a quite successful career as a country and western singer. Although Big Bad John was not particularly a country and western song. It was a song about, at the time I was living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which, you know, western Pennsylvania has many coal mines. And this is a song, kind of a tall tale, about a miner who goes down into the mine and like holds the beams up until all the, uh, as it's caving in until everybody else can get out. And he's a big hero, but then of course the mind collapses in on him. And uh, you know, they, uh, Jimmy Dean had a had a really distinctive voice with a southern accent that I could relate to. I, my mother was southern, and um, uh, how I first heard this song is even more amazing, though. Um, I lived in a neighborhood in, in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, called, the, called McKnight Village in the North Hills. And uh, there were many, many, like, rows of townhouses, uh, like two-bedroom townhouses. And so there were many young children, young families with young children. So there, there were a lot of kids my age. This one kid in particular... For the life of me, I cannot remember his name. I wish I could. But he he had an amazing singing voice. However, he was very shy about doing it. So what he would do, I swear this is true, he would unwind like a 50-foot-long garden hose, and he would stand with one end of the hose in the bushes so nobody could see him. And then at 50 feet away, the rest of us kids would be listening through the other end. And he, one day he sang to us this song, Big Bad John, and it really clicked with me. So I, I loved it. So I, I, I got on my bike, my, you know, I had what we, we called then an English bike, and I, I went to Gimbel's department store, which was not too far away, and it was new, this new thing called a shopping mall, <laughs> and uh, I uh, I bought the single, Big Bad John, and the lady said to me, you know this is the number one record in the country. And I took it home, listened to it repeatedly. I didn't have very many records then, so I listened to it repeatedly and still love it to this day. I mean, it has a, a kind of syncopation to it, that's reminiscent of uh caribbean music like calypso or or um uh mambo but it's not it's some hybrid anyway i love that how old were you at the time i was uh i was in like the second grade what is that eight uh 7 and 8 yeah yeah 7 or 8 and, uh, you know, music was a big part of my life. Even then, uh, that, that was around the time that the twist came out, you know, and, uh,
0: it was, it was the time of novelty songs. Um, so you, you mentioned sort of the style of the song and why maybe part of what you found appealing with the sort of Calypso feel or rhythmic feel to it. But do you think, I find that sometimes context can make a big difference as to whether you like something or not. Um, uh, as an older listener now, I'm you know sort of closed off and cynical in certain cases and don't listen in the same ways, but sometimes I'll be caught off guard um, for one reason or another. Maybe I'm distracted, maybe I'm with certain people, maybe I'm in a certain place, and I hear something differently and I'm sort of open to it. Do you think there was something contextually going on there? Um, in that situation, maybe related to the Garden Hose or the fact that this kid was of, of neighborhood uh, renown that uh, made it more appealing to you? Um, quite possibly. But, but you know, uh, as soon
1: as I heard the song uh, on the record, I loved it even more. So it was something about the recorded sound that really uh, turned me on. Even even over my little ch- child's
0: record player, you know, is there was there anything? I I, I always am loath to sort of try to make or have people make direct connections between these songs um, and their playing. I mean, very very direct connections. But the fact that you mentioned that there was, you know, again the sort of rhythmic feel of um, calypso or mambo, um, you know, certainly Talking Heads. Uh, had incredibly complex polyrhythms going on at times do you think that this mm-hmm. fed that from a you know somehow unconsciously subconsciously um to your playing on certain records or the rhythmic arrangements of certain songs and records yeah well
1: I th- I think I always uh, was excited by by the, the rhythms of songs um, you know uh Maybe even more so than the melody. I mean, obviously, clearly, the melody is really important, but but I, I think I responded most strongly to the rhythm of a song. Um, you know, I- I initially, and then then the rest of the song becomes uh, comes into into focus. But but yeah, I, I
0: get I get easily distracted by rhythms. <laughs> <laughs> uh that that's an excellent quote i love that and that that's fascinating that's a great first choice that's had no idea i had no idea that he was a musician first you know you reach certain Uh, you you, you're born at a certain time and then you don't realize um where certain things originated and then you look back and hear from others and realize that something (laughs) that is ubiquitous to you in one sort of genre is a you know a type of food or a brand actually originated somewhere else it's really interesting i had no idea he'd been a musician was he a musician for quite a while before all this before he started the the sausage company do you know?
1: Oh, um, I, be- I believe so, yes. Long before the, the, the sausage was his second act. <laughs> John, big, John. big bad John. Big John. Big bad John.
0: The second song France chose as essential to his formation as an artist was I Want to Hold Your Hand by The Beatles we
1: That came out. My whole world kind of changed uh, for the better. It, I had been interested in music. I was. I loved bands like The Ventures and the, you know, uh, e- even the uh, the Four Seasons, you know. But when the Beatles came out, it was like, oh, very clear to me that this is, this is, I mean, lots of kids, a multitude of of. Of kids had the same epiphany when they saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan they said that's what I want to do that's it <laughs> and uh, and so uh, after that uh, you know I had been playing in the school band and I, I got on the uh, the school bus I was going to junior high school and all the the, the next day after the Beatles were on TV on Ed Sullivan all these American girls were already singing Beatles songs in unison on the school bus. So I thought, wow, they, they you know, they, the girls really liked them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I liked the music. It had, a, I mean, Ringo was so good. And, um, you know, people underestimate Ringo. And so, some people, you know, argue about his uh Actual significance as a drummer, but to me, he's one of the kings, you know. And um, and the, the Beatles were uh, they had something for everyone. I mean, even even all, everybody's mom liked the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all the dads, mm-hmm. but all the moms did. And um, uh, later on with Talking Heads, I would occasionally hear these beatly, beetle esque little things not too often but every once in a while and and in retrospect uh, i i look back and i think oh yeah that that's like that song tomorrow never knows by the beatles you know but but we called it warning
0: sign <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i'll just interject now that um, <clears throat> my band on our first record uh sampled warning sign and made it a loop so it's funny you would mention that oh wow actually. yeah um with yeah. no credit, sorry, but we didn't make any money off of it, so you're not being robbed, I can assure you. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, so when you saw the initial performance on Ed Sullivan, as so many did, obviously the, the appeal the appeal was immediate as it was for so many millions of people. And you mentioned, obviously, Ringo being a, a great drummer, which I completely concur, and he's underrated, and he swings, and he plays the songs, and he's clever, um, never gets in the way, all these other good things. Did you? And you also mentioned earlier that you focused on rhythm first. Did you? Did you focus on the rhythm first when they were on when they made their appearance on the show? I, th- I think what at first caught me was their
1: look. You know the the suits and the the little boots with Cuban heels and the the haircuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what got me first. But 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 then. <clears throat> Yeah, Ringo caught me, and but so did their, all their, their singing and their harmonies, and <clears throat> the way they, you know, the way they uh, exuded such exuberance. They they were uh, remarkable, and uh, <clears throat> of course, as as they as they dug deeper into their uh,
0: career, they they got even more amazing. I've often heard, I haven't often, I at some point heard someone say that that sort of exuberance or charisma that um, you, uh, for example, even in that Ed Sullivan performance, which everybody saw, I think you've probably heard the quote, it's something like, um, all the guys wanted to be them. And all the girls wanted to, you know, be with them or date them or whatever it may be. I'm sure that there's plenty of overlap in both directions. Um, But um, I I definitely wanted to be one of them. mm -hmm, (laughs) mm
1: -hmm. Do you think? And and that was when when we formed our first bands, you know, me and my friends. And uh, my my first band was called The Lost Chords. Such a good name. (laughs) How old were you then? Um, I was in the 7th grade. Mm-hmm. Uh what is that?
0: Uh 12 and 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> did uh so did you do you kind of how how long was the gap between you seeing them on Ed Sullivan and then you being playing in your first band?
1: Uh not very long because uh, I was in the school band with these guys. I was playing drums and uh, they were playing things like trumpet and clarinet, but they switched over to guitars. Uh, Well, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the Lost Chords had a trumpet player and a trombone player in the band. (laughs) (laughs) So we could could also do Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass (laughs) songs.
0: You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought you were going to go the Klezmer direction when you started talking about how they play clarinet in the school band.
1: Something. I want to
0: The final song France chose as being crucial to him was There Was a Time by James Brown.
1: On a dance I got the plan I
0: want to be I love you, be You got to be Let me tell me Let me handle Come on,
1: the version that I like I like the record the regular studio version but I particularly particularly like the uh, the version on live at the Apollo volume one uh, which was recorded around the same time the Beatles came out I think but I discovered James Brown I I, I went to a boarding school in Virginia for my uh, freshman and sophomore year of high school and and um, I was happy to be there and I, I went down with my uh, Beatles and Stones and Birds records and stuff. And one of the guys in my dorm looked at my record collection and said, Oh man you got to listen to some soul music. we got to get you some soul music. And I said, okay. And one of the first things he brought over to my little cubicle, we didn't even have rooms. We had cubicles with no door on the front, you know. And uh, uh, I had a little record player, and I put on this James Brown Live at the Apollo. And... <clears throat> I I had not heard of James Brown before then. I I'd, I'd heard of, you know, when you talk about soul music, I I'd, I'd heard of, you know, the Supremes and, and uh, you know Marvin Gaye and the Four Tops. I've heard of the Motown stuff because that was pretty prevalent in uh north of the Mason Dixon line. They had crossed over to a white audience. But the, the deep southern soul had not really in, in the the part of Pennsylvania where i lived had not really crossed over yet so james brown was a revelation to me that just the and that live performance live at the apollo is just you know unleashed uh mm-hmm. passion and uh, soul it's it's just um c- completely wild and and yet Completely disciplined, you know everything the, the band is so tight and so uh, phenomenally um, on point, and of course, so is James Brown. Of course, I didn't get to actually see James Brown until much l- later in my life, but uh, and that was a whole nother thing too, with the dancing
0: but But we love James Brown. So I could see a. I keep coming back to the same sort of question, but so it seems like there's a fairly direct connection then between that sort of rhythm and that rhythm section and what you did with Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club. Is that fair to say? Yeah. 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 One of the guys.
1: One of the guys we worked with in Tom Tom Club is. Um, He's, a, he's originally from, oh, and Talking Heads, too. He played on Burning Down the House, among other things. There's a guy named Wally Badaru. Wally lives in Paris, and um, he, was, um, he was part of the, a loose ensemble called the Compass Point All-Stars that backed up Grace Jones, among others. And uh, Wally w- was born in Nigeria in what is now known as Benin. But uh, he was uh, raised and educated in, in Paris. So he's, he's a sophisticated cat. And he was one of the top studio musicians in Paris for many years. Still is. He, he um, For example, how he got the gig to come down to Compass Point was he... Played all the instruments on that song by M called Pop Music. He played, you know, New York, London, Paris, Munich. He played on all those songs, but I digress. <laughs> he, he, uh, he told me that when he would go back to Nigeria in the summertime as a kid, he'd be riding on the bus, and they, they had one sort of national radio station that everybody was listening to. And that James Brown song, There Was a Time, came on the radio. And every shop and every bus driver and everybody was tuned into this same station. James Brown comes on and everybody just stops what they're doing. The buses stop. The shopkeepers stop. everybody, The traffic stops and everybody just starts dancing to There Was a Time. And I, I imagine that that probably wouldn't happen in the town of Fairfield, Connecticut, where I live now. But mm-hmm. <laughs> in Nairobi
0: it did, you know. I love your description of um of that as him as being I believe you said funky but disciplined. That yeah. is so true. And I think that those are you know, those two words are considered sort of antonyms, but they don't need to be and they aren't really in so many cases. And um those two ideas are sort of interwoven and what makes it work so much, right? I mean, I suppose some Uh of that comes out of the musicians making it look so easy and that it's danceable, so people associate it with fun times and not with work or hard work. But to make that work, you do have to be incredibly disciplined as a unit. And, of course, yes, yes, you think about those videos you can still see on youtube of james brown trying to catch his rhythm section you know miss one <laughs> mil, you know one one eighth note it's it's amazing yes Do you still listen to james brown or did you listen to him continuously from that point on or was that just sort of a a wet cement moment I, I, i've
1: been listening to him continuously for, from that point on i mean not every day but he's definitely one of my all-time favorites yeah we put it, we put him in that song, Genius of Love, among others. You know, a, a, re, a shout out, you might say. You ready, Blaine?
0: This has been Essential Tremors. Bobby Bennett from North Carolina. Give him a big round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. You ready again? Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore and NPR.
1: But we say a few words.
0: look for and subscribe to all of wipr's podcasts at wipr.org/podcast central
1: you ready because- For
0: more information about essential tremors go to essentialpodcast.com
1: stand all this soul, sure got a lot-
0: thanks for listening
1: uh, get it uh, get it uh, get it uh, get it uh.